This morning, as Pastor Sam said, we are looking at Exodus chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 and then verses 10 through 22. This is the story of the parting of the Red Sea. You remember that the people of Israel are in bondage. They have been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And this is the moment, the moment they've been longing for, where a man by the name of Moses who has been caught up by God, would lead the nation of Israel out of bondage and into a new life of freedom with God. It's the great act here. It's the great act of freedom and liberation and deliverance that we see here with the people of God as they cross the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, and then continuing with 10 through 22. As always, children, if you have little ones at home, would you help them find this passage as they follow along in their Bibles and in their worship guides this morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi Haroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal, Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will set glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching out before them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And Moses said, it is because there aren't, they said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done? What have you done? Bring us back so that we might serve the Egyptians. For what it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you will have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that you might go in after, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved on from before them and stood behind them and coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. 
And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And on this Lord's day, the grass continues to wither and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord... No, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Have you ever needed to be delivered? Have you ever needed to be saved and rescued? I think it goes without saying that there's probably not a person in the last few weeks that has not said to themselves, Oh God, rescue me, save me, deliver me. There are parents all across North America that are crying out, God, deliver and save us. There are children crying out, deliver me, save me, rescue me from this moment and from this season of what we are all facing. I think it goes without saying that it has crossed everybody's mind, the need for deliverance, the need for salvation. Well, here in Exodus 14, we see God calling Moses to rescue the Israelites. The Israelites, as I said, that had been in bondage for 400 years. They had faced captivity and slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. They have faced 10 different plagues. They are facing death and uncertainty. And it's in this moment in Exodus 14 that we see God come down and use a man by the name of Moses to deliver them out and save them into a new life of freedom and presence with him. You see, the book of Exodus we have established for the last few weeks is a book of both deliverance and salvation, delivering out of something and saving them into something. God always delivers and saves. He delivers us out and saves us into something. But what I ultimately want you to see this morning is that this story in Exodus 14 is not just a great Bible story that happened a long time ago, but this story serves as our story. It serves as a picture and a paradigm of ultimately how God delivers and saves you and how he delivers and saves me. See, from the beginning of this series, we have been working our way from the beginning of Genesis, trying to discover God's story from beginning to end and establishing that all of the stories of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation ultimately tell one story. And when we understand that one story, we then and only then can begin to make sense of our story. We begin to see how our story fits into God's story and all of the stories of our life can only make sense when we understand the one grand story of God from beginning to end. It is the ultimate story of God's deliverance and salvation. But the first thing that I want us to see this morning is the need for deliverance and salvation. I want to ask the question, why do we need deliverance and salvation? What do we actually need deliverance and salvation from? Well, this is how the story went. 
Pharaoh finally comes to his senses. After 10 plagues, he is ready for the Israelites to go. He says to his people, if we don't let these Israelites go, we can't afford another plague. We can't afford an 11th plague. And so we are all going to die if we don't let them go. So we are actually told in the scriptures that Pharaoh is so glad for them to go that he actually provides them gifts on their way out. But then here in chapter 14 in verse 5, it says that Pharaoh came to his senses. And what does he say? He says, finally, it came to his mind, we are going to let the entire labor force go if we let the Israelites depart. The, our labor will go, our economy will crumble if we let the millions and millions of Israelites go. And so what Pharaoh does is he reverses course, he changes his mind, and he says, get all of the chariots together. Now you have to understand that in Egypt at this time, they were the strongest military power on the face of the earth. They were the lone superpower in the world. And so Pharaoh gathers this superpower, the strongest military the known world has ever seen, and brings them and starts to chase after the Israelites. We're told that he gets every chariot in Egypt and chases down the Israelites. But then we see how the Israelites respond. As the Egyptians are chasing them and the Israelites are running for their life, you would think the Israelites would go, let's keep running harder and faster. Let's get away from the Egyptians as soon, as fast as we can because life with God away from Egypt is so far superior but that's not the response, is it? Look at verse 11 with me. In verse 11, they say to Moses, is it because there's no graves that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? And then they have the audacity to turn to Moses and say, it was better in Egypt than here in the wilderness. Can you imagine what they are saying is it was better to be enslaved and in captivity and in bondage to the Egyptians to live this rather than live this new life of freedom with God. You see, it's in that confession that the Israelites make that they reveal the true enemy. You see, as fierce as the Egyptians were and as great as an enemy the Egyptians were to the Israelites, the, the Israelites were suffering from a greater enemy and it was the enemy of unbelief that they were suffering from the enemy of unbelief that was convincing them in that moment in verse 11 that life with God is not better than life in captivity. That I'd rather be back in slavery than living this new life of freedom. And where did this unbelief stem from? It stemmed from sin. You see, the Israelites suffered from the same thing that has been plaguing the world from the very beginning and plaguing all human beings without exception. It is the sin of unbelief. And not only did the Israelites suffer from it here in Exodus 14, but you and I suffer from it all of the time. And just as the Israelites needed to be delivered and saved from the sin of unbelief, you and I need to be saved and delivered from the sin of unbelief this morning. Convincing ourselves 
that our old lives are superior than living our new lives with Jesus, that a life walking and following God through the person of Jesus Christ is not better than our old life of bondage and slavery to our old selves. And just as the Israelites needed to be rescued and delivered and saved, I pray that you would realize this morning that you need to be rescued and delivered and saved from the sin of unbelief to think that our old lives are superior than living a life with God. You see, there is a sin, the sin of unbelief, and it is a plague and a pandemic of epic proportions, and we need to be rescued and delivered and saved from it this morning. So what do we need to be delivered and saved from? Not the Egyptians. We need to be delivered and saved from the sin of unbelief. But the second thing that we see here in this passage is not only our need for deliverance and salvation, but we actually see how we're delivered and saved. We see how we receive this deliverance and salvation. And what we see here in this passage is that it is a decisive act and not a not a process. We see in this passage that Pharaoh has the people of God trapped. On the one side, we have the Red Sea. And on the other side, we have the world's superpower, the Egyptians. And however you slice it, the people of God are trapped. If they go forward into the Red Sea, they are drowned. If they turn around, they're brought back into captivity and into slavery. But however you slice it, these are a people that are trapped. You could say that they are a people that stand condemned. They are condemned whether they go forward or backwards. The people of God stand condemned. But then in a moment, in one decisive act, they receive deliverance and salvation and God intervenes. In verse 13, Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord today. You'll see it today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. How? How will they see salvation today in one decisive act? Skip to verse 16. God calls Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your arm. And what happens? The waters miraculously divide. The waters are pushed aside and it becomes dry land that the people of Israel, the God's people are able to walk across. And then we are told in verse 26 and 29 that Moses does it again. After the Israelites cross the dry land, Moses stretches out his arm again and the waters come back. And what happens? The Egyptians get stuck and the waters come back and they absolutely consume and crush the Egyptians, allowing the Israelites and the people of God to cross safely and experience deliverance and salvation from condemnation. At one moment they were condemned and in another moment they were saved. 
But you see, it's in this one decisive act of salvation to the Israelites that we understand how we too receive our salvation and our deliverance. You see, for us as a Christian, we are not saved by God over time, but our salvation too happens in one moment, happens in one decisive act. You see, one moment we are lost, and in another moment we are found. In another moment, we, in one moment we stand condemned, and in another moment we are delivered and saved. One moment we're out, and another moment we're in. And you see, it's this reality of salvation that the Israelites experienced and we experience as well that sets Christianity apart from every worldview and every world religion. You see, every worldview and every world religion says this, that discipline yourself over time and do more good than bad in your life and maybe hopefully at the end of your life you'll get into heaven and you'll experience favor with God. Not so with Christianity. Christianity says what? In a moment of time, while you are yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You see, the story of Christianity is that we were dead, and then God made us alive, and then we respond by believing. We respond by faith. That is the order of salvation. It's called regeneration, where God makes us alive, and we respond by faith. And this is what separates Christianity from every worldview. We don't work our way to God and then God lets us in according to how much faithfulness and belief we exhibit. No, God makes us alive. He saves us and then we respond by believing. You lose that order and you lose Christianity. In one moment, the people of God are condemned and then they are saved and then they believed. And you too, that is how you receive your salvation. One moment we stand condemned in our sin and in our guilt. And in a moment, God comes down and he delivers us and saves us and makes us come alive. And we respond by faith. There is nothing in the world, listen to me, that can offer you that hope. That can offer you the hope of standing in a place, in a position of no condemnation. When we read the story of Exodus, you can hear the echoes of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. For those that are found in Christ, there is no condemnation. But how is this possible? How is it possible for a people like the Israelites and a people like you and me to one moment stand condemned and fearful and scared and running for our lives and in another moment be delivered and saved. There's only one possibility. There's only one answer for how this could happen. Someone would have to stand in between. Someone would have to stand in the gap for you and me and stand in between our condemnation and our salvation. And so lastly this morning, I want to answer the question, who actually accomplished this deliverance 
and this salvation. Who accomplishes the salvation and the deliverance for the Israelites? And who accomplishes our deliverance and salvation this morning? Who would be able to stand in the gap? Well, you might be tempted to say it was Moses. Was it Moses who stood in between the salvation of the Israelites and the condemnation of the Egyptians? Well, we read in verse 15 that even the Lord has to rebuke Moses for unbelief. In verse 15, God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So we see in verse 15 that even Moses was suffering from unbelief. So it couldn't have been Moses because Moses needed deliverance and salvation just as much as the Israelites did. And Moses needs deliverance and salvation just as much as we do this morning. So who is it that stands in between and accomplishes salvation and deliverance? Well, the answer is found in verses 19 and 20. It says the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved before them. And here's the answer, verse 20. Coming in between Egypt and the host of Israel, there was a cloud. You see, it's there in verses 19 through 20 that we read of a pillar, a cloud that stands in between the Israelites and the Egyptians, that stands in between salvation on one side and condemnation on the other. And centuries later, we will understand that this pillar of cloud is the presence of God that would one day come down and the pillar of cloud would become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the pillar of cloud here in 19 through 20 is the presence of God and this presence of God stands in between and accomplishes deliverance and salvation and the same pillar of cloud would put on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ on the cross would stand in between our salvation and our condemnation. But unlike this story in Exodus 14, Jesus wouldn't move. And Jesus wouldn't get out of the way. But in fact, he would willingly on the cross allow himself to be consumed. Why? So that you and I would have the confidence and assurance that by faith we would never be consumed. Jesus is condemned on the cross and experiences our condemnation so that you and I could go through this life never fearing that we would be condemned. He experiences condemnation so that we can experience deliverance and salvation once and for all. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ this morning for whoever believes that we can go through this life and even in those moments where we are going life is just too much and life is just too hard and you find yourself so full of anxiety and fear that you feel like the walls of this life are consuming you and crashing in from every side we can look to the one who said, I will be consumed 
so that you'll never be consumed. I will take on your condemnation so that you might never be condemned. If you struggle to believe that this morning, would you look to the God who gives up his son for you and allows him to be consumed so that you might never be consumed? The biggest struggle you and I face is the biggest struggle that they faced in the nation of Israel that day. Failing to believe that God was more than able to rescue, that God was more than able to deliver and save. There was a rural church that was preaching through this passage in Exodus chapter 14. And as they were reading the passage out loud, a gentleman in the back of the church stood up and he raised his hands up in the air and he said, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Our God is mighty to save. He rescued the nation of Israel through the deep waters. Well, then the preacher went on to explain and offer a rather critical view of this passage. And he went on to say that actually it was no miracle at all. And actually it wasn't the Red Sea, but it was the Reed Sea. And it wasn't six feet of water, but it was just six inches of water. But actually it was no miracle at all. The Israelites just walked across the sea with ease. And with that, the same gentleman in the back stood up. He raised his hands in the air and said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Our God is so mighty to save that he destroyed an entire Egyptian army in just six inches of water. You see, we laugh and we smile. But you and I know deep down inside there are moments in our life where we struggle to believe. And we look at stories like this and we say, It's too good to be true. Too good to be true that, that our God would be for us. Too good to be true that we have a God that always fights for us. But I want you to believe this morning. And if you are failing to believe in this season that God is able, that you are failing to believe that God will truly rescue us, that you are failing to believe that God is capable and more than able of delivering and saving his people, I want you to believe again. You see, the, st the reason... We worship every Sunday and we go back to the Word of God and we look at story after story after story is because I want you to be reminded every week that this is not just a story of what God did, but this is a story of what God does. If you've been with us for any period of time, what is the rhythm of the Bible? It is telling one story over and over again of what? of deliverance and salvation, deliverance and salvation. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see a God who delivers and saves. And why is that important this morning? It's so that you and I can go through this life and through this world saying, I have a God that delivers and saves over and over again. It's not just something he did in Exodus 14, but this is who my God is. This is what my God does. And so when I turn on the news and I hear the news that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, we can say, fine, because that's not how my story ultimately ends. It might get worse before it gets better, but I know that I have a God 
that makes all things new. And I have a God that not only delivered and and saved the Israelites thousands of years ago, but I have a God that will deliver and save me. And for those that are in Christ, that is your hope this morning. That you would look back at story after story in the scriptures and say, this is not what my God did, but this is what my God does. And my story can be God's story, captured by the story of stories of deliverance and salvation. Would your story be found in God's story this morning? I don't know about you, but I can't live and function in a world that doesn't have this type of hope. I can't function any day of the week without having this promise. You see, this promise in Exodus 14 and all of the stories of God throughout the scriptures give us a rock-solid, iron-clad, take-it-to-the-bank type of assurance that this is what our God does. So if you're a Christian, believe and anchor your hope and your assurance in this truth this morning. If you don't know Jesus, I want to thank you for tuning in this morning. And I want to ask you this question. Where else can you find this promise? Where else in the world can you have a promise? In a world that over-promises and never delivers, where can you find a promise like this? I don't know about you. I don't want to go through this life without looking to the one that only one that can guarantee this type of hope and assurance. And Jesus offers himself freely to you this morning. The Bible tells us that anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. In a moment in time, today, you can look to Jesus and have this hope now and forever. There is nothing in the world and no one in the world that can make this promise and deliver on it. It is the only thing that will move you and I, especially during this season, from fear to faith in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone, you have a good shepherd, a good shepherd that fights for you. And when you begin to believe that, you will be set free.